You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. You know, a a Danish philosopher had once told a story about a goose who was wounded and landed in a barnyard with some chickens. And he played with the chickens and he ate with the chickens. And after a while, the goose thought that he was a chicken. And so one day, a flight of geese uh, came over, migrating to their home. And they gave a loud honk up there in the sky, and the goose heard it. And then something profound began stirring within the breast of this goose. And a powerful force was calling him to the skies. He began to flap his wings, which he had never used before. And he rose a few feet in the air before falling back down to the ground. And he did this for quite a while, and he got a little higher every time. However, his enthusiasm eventually turned into exhaustion. And instead of following the call from the skies, he gave up and chose to fall back into the mud of the barnyard. You see, the goose heard the call for more, but he settled for less. In church, I cannot help but wonder how many Christians are guilty of doing the same thing. We hear God's call to live this abundant life. Yet when it gets too hard, we choose to settle for less. 2 Timothy 1.9 says that Jesus saved us and he called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. You see, the moment when a person comes to faith in Christ, they're given a calling and a purpose to fulfill for Christ. And those who choose to embrace their God-given purpose from above, there's going to be great blessing here below. Yet so often, yet so often, rather than embrace God's purpose for our lives, we choose to embrace earthly pursuits that leave us wanting. How many would just agree with that, kind of give me an awkward, like, amen, yeah, you're right, yeah. We all do that more often than we'd like to admit. You see, friends, God in his great love for us has something so much better for us. Psalm 107, verses 8 and 9, it says, Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for, read this with me, he satisfies the longing soul. He does. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. Guys, we are living in a world right now where everyone is relentlessly pursuing meaning and satisfaction for their lives. The problem is that most people are searching for it in the wrong places. In 2021, Pew Research released the results of a survey, and it simply asked this question, what makes life meaningful? That was the question. And of the 16, of the 16 most cited factors of what makes life meaningful, The top three were family, career, and material well-being. Now listen, the second to last, in other words, number 15 on that list was faith. Number 15. And it was only separated by the 16th, the last one, by 1%. You know what that tells me? It means that the vast majority of people are trying to find their purpose in anything but God. They're grasping at straws. And it's no wonder why suicide and depression rates are skyrocketing, probably now more than ever before. Friends, this morning, as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah, we're going to learn more about following 
God's calling and purpose for your life by looking at God's calling and purpose for Isaiah's life. And it's through our study, we're going to be reminded of this, this truth that, that we need to remember, because this is a tough one, but, but if it's an encouraging truth if we can remember it. It's this, following God's call won't always be easy, but it will always be worth it. And so with that, let's bow our heads one more time and pray before we hop in. Heavenly Father, we recognize this morning As your word says, you saved us and you called us to a holy calling, Lord. A calling that is your purpose for our lives, not our own purpose for our lives. And God, so often we admit that we chase after our own wants and desires and and fleshly pursuits instead of pursuing you. And we're miserable when we do that, God. But we go to it again and again and again and again. And Lord, we just pray that this morning you would soften our hearts to your purposes for our lives. God, that we would truly believe the psalmist when he wrote that you alone satisfy the longing soul. God, help us to be sensitive to your voice this morning. I pray that I would get out of the way of your word and your Holy Spirit's work and that your word would preach to us this morning. Speak for itself in in all God's people said, amen. So church, before we jump into today's text, let's, let me just provide a little bit of context for where we're at, okay? So Isaiah was called into God's service, as we're going to see, through a vision that he had from the Lord. This vision occurred in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died. You see, King Uzziah was, for the most part, a good king over the people of Judah, who caused them to flourish under his reign. However, even though they flourished economically, God's people were failing spiritually, and they were heading toward disaster. You see, they put their hope in an earthly king, and they rebelled against their heavenly king. And so therefore, God used this vision to remind Isaiah that even though their beloved earthly king was dead, that God, their true heavenly king, was still on the throne, and there was some business that needed to be done with his people. Isaiah 6.1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so upon receiving this celestial vision, Isaiah was so overwhelmed by his own sinfulness in the presence of God, and it caused him to cry out in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was overwhelmed. And it was in this moment of admission of sin that God poured out his grace upon the prophet. And he purified him. He forgave Isaiah's sin, and he consecrated him for service. Verse 7 says, And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Now, church, it is worth noting that if you want to serve the Lord, the same process of consecration that happened then happens today. In other words, if anyone desires to be used by God, they must first be in right relationship with God. This includes repenting of sin, and responding in obedience. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So Isaiah, he was cleansed by God. He was ready to receive his calling from God. And so that's where we pick up in verse 8. I'm just going to read verses 8 through 13, and then we'll break it down a little bit. Isaiah 6, 8 through 13. 
And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. So I came across a true story of a pastor who told of a true story of this dude. Ooh, he had a couple loose screws but who went around California telling people that Jesus regularly appeared to him. And one day after a Sunday service, he told the pastor that Jesus appeared to him that very morning while he was shaving. And the curious pastor asked, okay, well, what did you do? And the man said, well, I just kept on shaving. To which the pastor said, then that wasn't Jesus. <laughs> you see, church, generally speaking, the Lord doesn't appear to us in ethereal visions like he did Isaiah, but even if he did, it's impossible to have this type of encounter with the Lord and not be permanently changed. Isaiah had an extraordinary encounter with God that changed his life forever, and we can learn a lot from it. And so found within this, in today's passage are three factors of this heavenly encounter. Let's look at the first. It's the calling. The calling, the beginning of verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Church, one of the most, we don't think about this very often, and we should. One of the most mind-blowing aspects of the Christian faith is that God desires to use human personalities to accomplish heaven's purposes. And he doesn't just use people who we would consider the best of the best or the holier than thou's. He uses the ordinary, the imperfect, the meek, and the lowly. In other words, he uses people like you and me. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not. To bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You know, some people get down on themselves and wrongfully conclude that they can never be used by God. I struggle with this, okay? I think we all do, like, God, I am not the man for the job. I cannot be used by you. I'm too wretched, Lord. I'm too, I'm not smart, like, whatever it is, right? We get down on ourselves, and then somebody responding to this wisely wrote, and I've shared this with you before, but you forgot. So he said this. <laughs> somebody wisely wrote, do you really think God can't use you? Abraham was too old to father a nation. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was afraid. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. 
Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times. Zacchaeus was too small. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an extramarital affair. Elijah was depressed. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> you see, time and time again, Scripture reminds us that God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so today's text opens with God calling and qualifying Isaiah to his special service. And it's a reminder to us that the God of the universe is constantly looking for kingdom volunteers. Again, look what he says in verse 1. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? You know, we are living in an economy right now. Okay, the state of our economy right now where there is more work to be done than there is a workforce. In other words, there's more jobs available than people who are willing to do the work. And you know what? We in the church, we complain about that, don't we? We're like, man, we need, what's the matter with people? There's jobs everywhere. they got to get to work. But here's the problem. We don't say the same thing about God's economy. And the, and, and the same is true with God's economy. Matthew 9, 36 to 38 says, When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, guys, but the laborers are few. <clears throat> disciples, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Church, when it comes to serving God, the problem is not a lack of work. It, the problem is a lack of willing workers. And that's why Jesus calls us not only to pray for more workers, but it's kind of implied that while you're praying, go do something. Be willing to be those workers. And so that being said, we can learn a lot from Isaiah's response in verse 8. He said, then I said, here I am, send Here I am, send me. I came across an interesting article about the differences between how different countries answer the phone. For example, in America, most people say hello. In Germany, most people answer by saying their last name. In Denmark, they answer by saying both their first and their last names. In Russia, they say, I'm listening. In France, they say, hello, who's on the line? In Italy, they say, ready. In Spain, they say, speak. In China, they say, hey, hey, who are you? Now, spirit of full transparency here, I have no idea if any of that is true. <laughs> but it does raise an interesting point. I mean, it was on the internet, so it had to be true, right? <laughs> but it does raise an interesting point. How do you respond when God calls you? If we're honest... I think most people respond to God's call by saying, here I am, Lord, send someone else. But when God called Isaiah, remarkably, the prophet didn't hesitate for a moment. In fact, the same could be said about the disciples, the first disciples, when Jesus first called them. In Matthew 4, 19 and 20, it says, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Read this word with me. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately. So what about you? How are you responding to God's call for your life? Do you jump at the opportunity to serve him? 
Or do you do everything you can to get out of serving him? Because church, here's the reality. Every single believer is called to a life of ministry. It's true. Every single believer. Now there's capital M ministry. And this represents a smaller segment of believers who are called to work as pastors or missionaries or in parachurch organizations. That's capital M. However, for most believers, it's lowercase m ministry. And this represents the vast majority of believers who are called to proclaim the gospel and serve the Lord in whatever line of work God put them in and to use their gifts to edify the church. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you, second of the whole church, you are a chosen race and a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, church, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And so, friends, if we desire to live a life of meaning and purpose, if we desire to make an impact for eternity, then we, like Isaiah, must willingly and wholeheartedly submit to God's calling and service. J.I. Packer said, have, have you been holding back from a risky, costly course to which you know in your heart God has called you? Hold back no longer. Your God is faithful to you and adequate for you, and you will never need more than he can supply, and what he supplies, both materially and spiritually, will always be enough for the present. Now, it's important to note that a life, even though a life of service to the Lord offers a lot of satisfaction, this does not suggest that it won't come without significant struggles. And this leads us to the second factor of Isaiah's encounter, the commission. Look at verses 9 and 10. And he said, go and say to those people, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. As a young man, G. Campbell Morgan felt called into ministry and he was over, or he was one of 150 students who sought entrance into the Wesleyan ministry in 1888. He passed all the doctrinal examinations but needed to stand before three critical ministers and 75 others and preach a trial sermon. Well, two weeks following this intimidating feat, Morgan's name appeared among 105 others who were rejected for that ministry year. His ministerial critics said that Morgan showed, quote, no promise. So a dejected Morgan then wired his father a message that simply said rejected. And then he sat down and started to write in his diary, and he wrote, very dark everything seems. Still, he, God, knoweth best. Minutes later, he received a reply from his father, which said, rejected on earth, accepted in heaven. Dad. And though he was not academically trained, G. Campbell Morgan eventually became one of the most revered and competent English-speaking preachers in the early 20th century. It's been said that he had no graces of gesture, no showy eloquence, no spectacular delivery. He was lank, lean, angular, and wholly unattractive. It's describing me to a T. Uh, anyway, <laughs> who are you talking about, Willis? All right. Um, he used no charts or blackboard, no pictures, no screen, no gadget of any kind. His dress was simple, nothing to attract or divert 
attention. His tremendous power was what he did with the word of God. Church, the words preached by the prophet Isaiah, words that we're studying this morning, are now considered some of the most revered and important writings in all of Scripture. However, at the time they were preached, not so much. Isaiah was about to face intense scrutiny and rejection from his own people, friendly fire. He too would have to learn, rejected on earth, accepted in heaven. You see, because of their continued sin and rebellion against the Lord, the people of Judah were going to experience judgment from the Lord. And now the primary purpose of God's judgment is always to persuade people to return back to him and cry out in repentance. But sadly, the Lord was calling Isaiah to preach a message of repentance to a people who by and large were not going to repent. And Isaiah knew this in advance. Can you imagine? One commentator notes for the most part the people of Judah were not going to listen. And God alerted Isaiah to that fact. Their eyes were blind to their sin in spiritual reality. Their ears were deaf to God's call for repentance, and their minds were dulled lest they understand and be healed. Again, can you imagine being called to fulfill a divine task in which you would see very little fruit? In Isaiah's case, the more he preached, the more hearts were going to be hardened to his message. It kind of reminds me of Noah. He, had the, he was in the same boat. No pun intended! That just happened. So proud of myself. <laughs> but 2 Peter 2.5 says, He did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. You see, when Noah wasn't building the ark, he was preaching for people to repent. But sadly, no one besides his family listened to his message. Their rebellious hearts were hardened, and they experienced God's judgment. Well, in no uncertain terms, Isaiah was facing similar circumstances. And so troubled by this revelation, naturally the prophet wanted to know how long he would have to preach to a spiritually dead nation. And unfortunately, God's answer did not give him much comfort. Look at verse 11 and 12. He said, how long, O Lord? Uh, okay, I, I may, have, may have changed what I, the whole here I am, send me thing if I knew this in advance. But how long, O Lord? And he said, God until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Church, don't miss this. Isaiah would have to preach until Judah was destroyed. Imagine how debilitating that must have felt to know that your life-saving message was going to be rejected by so many people. You know, I, I never worked for a telemarketing company before. I do, however, ans answer the phone very strangely when they call. But I would imagine that the interview process maybe goes a little something like this. Listen, buddy, want to work here? Cool. Your message is going to be rejected by a lot of people. You're going to get hung up on. You're going to get cursed at, yelled at, made fun of, and even threatened. Day after day after day, you're probably going to go home feeling more rejected and dejected than accepted. However, if you keep pressing on, someone might eventually buy what you're selling. 
You know, it takes a very special person to sign up for a job like that. But church, isn't this the very job we signed up for when we became followers of Jesus? Our job is to communicate the life-saving message of the gospel, knowing that many people are going to reject it. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this age, meaning Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we already know in advance that we're going to get rejected along the way. Now, the good news for us is that unlike Isaiah, God did not say that all people are going to reject our message. In fact, God is still in the business of removing those spiritual blinders. Yes, many people are going to reject the life-saving message of the gospel, but if we keep pressing on, some people are going to accept it, and their souls are going to be saved for eternity. And so it's for this reason Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good then, for in due season we will reap. That's a promise if we do not give up. Now before we move on from this section of Scripture, I think there's a critical observation in this passage that I don't want you to miss. Namely, that how you and how I respond to God's word now matters. How we respond to what we hear now matters. Raymond Ortland said, every time you hear the word of God preached, you come away from that exposure to his truth either a little closer to God or a little farther away from God either more softened toward God or more hardened toward God, but you are never just the same. This is true both, by the way, for believers and unbelievers. You see, for believers, every time you sit under God's word on a Sunday morning, you have a decision to make. Are you going to follow what you hear? Are you going to trust and obey his word, submit your lives to his service, or are you going to ignore and forsake his word? And make no mistake about it, we are held accountable to the truth that we absorb. For the unbeliever, every time you hear the message of salvation and you choose not to respond to it, your heart is at risk of becoming more hardened to that message. And if left unchecked, your heart may become so hardened to the gospel that you're going to reach the point of no return and you're going to die without knowing Christ and you're going to go to hell for eternity. You see, church, the overarching point is that you and I are responsible for what we hear. So therefore, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, don't ignore God's calling, whether it be for service to him or salvation. The people of Judah made the mistake of ignoring God's word for far too long, which led to his discipline and judgment. That's why Hebrews 3.15, it says, Today, not tomorrow, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And so all this to say, the prophet Isaiah had been commissioned to a very difficult task. A task that promised little to no fruit for his efforts. However, even though his task was going to feel very fruitless on earth, Isaiah's faithfulness would be recognized in heaven. In fact, church, did you know something? Nothing that we ever do for the Lord on earth is wasted. Nothing. God always has a purpose behind every calling, even if we can't see it, and his purpose is always, always, always good. Eight, Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for 
good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And this leads us to the third factor of Isaiah's encounter, the consolation. Look at verse 13. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned up again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. Now this might come across as a little bit confusing, so let me just explain what's happening. I'll give you a story. From a very young age, Jim Elliott felt the call to bring the good news of Jesus to those abroad. And this led him to the Aukas tribe who lived in the deep Amazon jungle. And after making a connection with an Aukas girl who fled from the tribe, the missionaries were able to learn some friendly phrases of the tribe's hidden language. And so for 13 weeks, the missionaries flew over the village, dropped a rope, and lowered a bucket of gifts. And then with a loudspeaker, the missionaries would broadcast simple phrases like, we like you, we are your friends. And pretty soon, the tribe responded by putting gifts in the bucket for the missionaries. And this gave the whole team a lot of optimism and hope and encouragement. And so as a result, the missionaries planned to have a face-to-face meeting with the natives, which had never happened before. It was a dangerous proposition given the fact that the tribe had never met with outsiders. And the missionaries were warned that they may not return. However, Jim and his team were convinced that the only way to reach this tribe for the gospel was to meet with them face-to-face and to not use violence. And so they vowed not to retaliate any potential attacks. Thankfully, their first visit with three members of the tribe was relatively friendly. However, a few days later, two women from the tribe stepped out of the jungle, and the missionaries were excited to talk with them when suddenly a barrage of angry warriors surrounded the missionaries with spears. And having vowed not to use any violence, Jim fired warning shots into the air, but refused to shoot the warriors. The tribe rushed him, gored him, and killed him. On January 8, 1956, at the age of 28, American missionary Jim Elliott was martyred, along with four missionary partners and friends. And he was survived by his wife, Elizabeth, and their 10-month-old daughter, Valerie. Shockingly, two years later, Jim's young widow, Elizabeth, continued his work among the same tribe who killed him. And not long afterward, one of the Aukas asked asked why Jim hadn't shot them when he had the chance. They couldn't understand why Jim freely gave up his life until they heard about Jesus, who had freely given up his And as a result, many members of that tribe came to faith in Christ, including one of the warriors that helped kill Jim and his friends. Sometime later, one of the Alcas gave his testimony at a meeting, and he was counting his fingers. And he said, I have killed 12 people with my spear, but I did that when my heart was black. Now Jesus' blood has washed my heart clean, so I don't live like that anymore. Church, Jim Elliott obeyed God's calling, and he saw no fruits from his efforts, really. In fact, he died a horrible death. However, that doesn't mean his service to the Lord was in vain. His faithful obedience laid this framework that was necessary to reach an unreached tribe with the gospel. And likewise, this is what I find fascinating, during Jim's life, 
He longed for more people to become missionaries. That was one of his deep desires. Ironically enough, it was his death that inspired and continues to inspire countless people to serve the Lord in the mission field. Jim Elliott had it right when he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Again, God always has a good purpose behind every calling, even if we can't see it. So here we have Isaiah. He's a human being just like you and me. And he needed a reason, a purpose, a glimmer of hope to keep him motivated and encouraged in his ministry. And God gave him that glimmer of hope when he said the holy seed is its stump. You see, when a forest is destroyed by a fire or a bulldozer, there are stumps that are left behind. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you drive by a forest and you just see a bunch of stumps laying around. And if those stumps aren't destroyed, new life will eventually sprout from those stumps. Well, at the close of Isaiah's vision, the Lord promises that despite his impending judgment, new life would eventually sprout. God was going to preserve a remnant of his people out of whom the nation of Israel would once again begin to grow. Not all hope was lost. Likewise, and Isaiah probably didn't even realize this then, but, but his message, God has been using up to this day to point people to Jesus. And therein lies the lesson for us. When times are dark, when situations are desperate, when spirits are disheartened, when our ministry is discouraging, God promises to provide hope to our souls. And that hope serves as a motivation and a consolation to fulfill our calling from above. I like what Paul said about hope in Romans 5.5. He said, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And so this brings us back to today's truth. Following God's call won't always be easy, but it will always be worth it. Later in, in her life, Elizabeth Elliot said, Here lies a tremendous mystery, that God should be all-powerful, yet refuse to coerce. He summons us to cooperation, and we are honored in being given the opportunity to participate in his good deeds. Friends, God is giving you the opportunity to participate in his kingdom work. Isn't that amazing? To actually have a life of meaning and purpose that extends well past, well past this life. He is summoning you to cooperation. And so again I ask... What might he be calling you to do today? I, I find it no coincidence that I'm preaching on this, this message of, you know, God calling Isaiah to ministry, and we've got some wonderful, we got the Kim family with us who've accepted his call to ministry. What a blessing that is, to have that all fall on the same day. And we thank you for your example of following God's call to ministry. 
But what might he be calling you to do today, church? Is he calling you to, to a particular service? Is he calling you to a particular ministry? Is he calling you to the mission field? Is he calling you to the pastorate? Maybe he's calling you just to repent of sin. Is he calling you to forgive someone who's wronged you? Is he calling you to move forward in faith and trust him with a situation that's outside of your control? Is he calling you, and actually I know the answer to this one, the answer is yes, is he calling you to tell your loved ones about Jesus? Yes. Yes. Church, I believe everyone in this room has a calling. And the million dollar question is, how are you going to respond to it? Are you going to say, here I am, send me, or are you going to say, here I am, send someone else? Perhaps you're here today and God is calling you to place your faith in Christ. And if so, if that's you, listen, friend, do not harden your heart toward his calling because the Bible teaches that your sin separates you from God. Yet God, in his great love for you, became a man in Jesus. And he died on the cross, taking the punishment of your sins upon himself. And three days later, he rose from the dead to prove that he conquered death once and for all. And in doing so, he provided a way for you to receive forgiveness for your sins and have eternal life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you want to be forgiven of your sins and assured of your salvation, then all you must do is admit that you're a sinner this morning and repent of your sin. Ask God to forgive you and believe in the person and work of Jesus. Make no mistake about it, your salvation cannot bank on how good you are as a person or all your good works. It banks all on Jesus. It's, it's by faith. Place your faith in him and him alone and you will be saved. So friends, whatever the Lord might be calling you to do today, let me encourage you to say yes. Like that goose we talked about earlier this morning, don't flap your wings for a little while and just settle back into the mud. Don't settle for less. Go all the way up. God will take care of you. He will sustain you. C.T. Studd said it best. He said, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. This time I'd like to invite the Praise team forward. I also like to invite the prayer team forward as well. Uh, prayer team, you guys don't have to stand right here at the stage immediately. You can just come sit in the front row, but they will be available if you need prayer after the service. Our prayer team will be up here waiting for you, but they can come forward now along with the pra uh, praise team. Let me just pray over you, church. This morning we're going to close by singing. Lord God, I want to thank you for this beautiful portion in Isaiah 6 where you called Isaiah to follow after you. And Lord, this morning we admit that we, we drown ourselves with so much noise, sometimes even to purposely not be able to hear your voice, God. We stiff-arm you, Lord, probably more than we, we should. Heavenly Father, God, I, I pray that some eyes this morning might have been open to your calling for their lives. Whatever that might look like, God, whatever you're confirming for them, I pray, God, that today they would be able to stake their claim and God's called me to do this and that they would follow through trusting you along the way.
Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the power that it has. And I just pray, God, that even now you would change some hearts and lives. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com. 